Hello, we are back again at the Stay In It podcast with Joshua Horner. And it's a special day today because this is the first time I've had someone on this podcast as a guest. Her name is Amy Mistrini. She is an artist and a writer from Ebensburg, Pennsylvania. Hello, Amy. Hi, Josh. <laughs> Tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, so I'm an artist. Uh, professionally, I sell oil paintings, and I'm a writer. I write for a magazine called Evie. It's a women's magazine with um, more traditional values. It's like the traditional uh, cosmopolitan. And I am a marketing professional. I work for the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS, which is a nonprofit doing psychedelic research. How did you get into that? Huh. The short answer is God. Um, (laughs) But the long answer is I uh, went to a festival in Costa Rica and had a pretty intense mushroom experience and saw the Zendo Project there and was impressed with what they were doing. And what is the Zendo project? Uh, it's a, a safe space for people having a difficult psychedelic experience um, at a festival or an event. And yeah, then they were hiring. My friend told me they were hiring, and I applied, and I got the job a few weeks later. So, and here we are. Here we are. And I'm sure we'll dive more into that as we go. But before that, I would like to say a prayer. Um, dear Lord, bless this interaction, and give us the opportunity to. Talk about things that are near and dear to our heart, but also educate anyone who is listening and might be seeking comfort or guidance or an example in the things that we are going to discuss. Dear Lord, keep us focused on you and keep our eyes and ears open so that we may speak in truth and continue the path that you that you want for us and... <laughs> Growing through the strength, growing through the adversity that is surely to come. So today, August 4th, 2021, on the Orthodox calendar, the saint of the day is Saint Mary Magdalene. Myrrh bearer equal of the apostles. So a Google search has said that she was a young, pretty woman that led a, sing- a sinful life. And the Lord had expelled seven devils from Mary. And from then on, she led a new life and became a disciple of Christ. So that is significant in the sense of God can renew you. You can be born again into him and you can lead an entirely new life. And that certainly has been, that certainly has been the theme of my, my life as of late. How about you, Amy? Mine as well, yes. You want to talk a little bit about that? <laughs> about renewing. Um, I'm a very different person than I used to be because of the grace of God. Um, I think completely differently than I used to. And it's a miracle. Yeah. So, so how? <laughs> what did you, how did you used to well, think? And what is, what, how have you been renewed into Christ? And what things have changed? And how did you get there? Because sometimes it's, it's not just a light switch. Yeah. Maybe it's a process and it's a over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. It was a long, pro- probably a 15-year process of falling away from God and then coming back to him. Um, I was um, very troubled as a teenager in, in college. I was a feminist and an anarchist and very 
full of pride and um, convicted in my beliefs. But I was wrong. Um, I was simultaneously very miserable and very anxious and depressed, but I didn't connect the dots that the way I was thinking was the, way, the reason that I was so anxious and depressed. Um, like my philosophy of life was not in alignment with, with the God's natural order. So, yeah, it was, um, it was kind of a slow like realization pro- process. Um, at s- some points, sped up faster than other points. But, yeah, now I just I think completely differently about everything. Relationships, um, social issues, uh, spirituality, completely different than than before and um uh, a lot of people have a story like mine but you know you know where they were one person and then through the grace of god became someone else but um now when you say the grace of god is there things that stick out in your mind that can you can recall that impacted you like people places and things because he certainly talks through people places and things experiences that we have and you know the more we go into that maybe you open up a little bit more you hear a little bit better you see a little bit better and then i think he talks to you a little bit more right right so what was maybe a turning point for you back when or what are some waypoints along the way that have furthered your strength in your faith so i can think of three um the first was a um therapist that i found through I don't know how I found her. I was seeing all sorts of therapists and none of them were quite had what I needed. And um, I found this this woman in, in Arlington, Virginia, where I was living and she had a big impact on me. Uh, she gave me coping skills and she kind of gave me permission to, to pray. I remember being in therapy and having a moment with her where I thought, what if I just believed that this could work? And that parted a lot of clouds for me because I was coming to faith. I think I look back now and I realize that was a moment where I decided to have faith in something instead of just being this nihilist and anarchist and all these, you know, faithless, unbelieving things. And she gave me, you know, she she looked at me not like I was crazy, like the other therapists seemed like they just didn't know what to do with me because they hadn't seen such a severe case. And um, she looked at me understandingly and I could tell she had been in the place I was in and didn't think I was unsalvageable. So she was um, a big turning point for me. She taught me a therapy called dialectic behavior therapy, which is kind of rooted in, it was developed by a Roman Catholic woman named Marsha Lineham. And uh, it's a merger of of, uh, Buddhism, Buddhist practices, and I guess some Christian practices and cognitive behavior therapy. And I saw results with that. I, my life started to get a lot better and I started to feel a lot better when I did some of these uh, therapy modalities with her. So, and I could get into that more. I think it's a really, a really beautiful and good uh, therapeutic uh, modality. But, um, and then the second uh, major turning point was Jordan Peterson. Uh, Jordan Peterson? Yeah. Who's that? Oh, you know who he is. <laughs> He's wonderful. Um, you know, I think I've grown past some of his messages now, but at the time, I, he really woke me up out of... I really needed someone to explain to me why feminism wasn't going to be healthy for me or give me the life that I actually wanted. And he was very clear about that, about the kind of the roles of the sexes. And I needed to hear a lot of the things he had to say about uh, relationships and men and women and the Bible and Christianity, he was able to explain Christianity in a way that was, um, kind of epic and like mythological and exciting and 
and cool, like in yeah. a way I hadn't ever been taught it before. Uh, so he was just a very good storyteller, and that that shifted me. I stopped hanging out with a lot of my friends that were atheists and kind of radical leftists, and like overnight I just binge listened to his lectures and painted, and just like was becoming this entirely different person. Yeah, it was good, and I felt like like this fire in my belly to like tell the truth because he he was uh, talking about that. Yeah, he talks about that, or at least don't lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah at least don't lie. Big big shift. And then the ne- and then the third one, um, grace of God moment was, uh, and this was kind of gradual, but that was finding uh, orthodoxy, Ooh. Um, which I could get orthodox into. That was more recent. Yeah, orthodox Christianity, a denomination of of Christianity. Well, I mean, I think it's the true church, but. Yeah. That. How'd you find it? Um, uh, so through my Twitter friends. Um, What's your Twitter Twitter handle? So, so it's funny. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Amy the Artist. Amy the Artist. Um, yes, okay. and I I post more thoughts there than art, but some art. And so <laughs> after Jordan Peterson, I said I had this fire in my belly to speak the truth. So and I, I swear I just heard a voice inside me that said, "Get on Twitter." I was just meditating one day, and it was like, "Get on Twitter," and I was like. I haven't thought about Twitter in years, but okay. So I got up off the computer or onto the computer and started to just tweet. And I met all these people who were kind of where I was. It was very mysterious. Um, We all started to find each other. And, um, you know, I started to make friends on there and connections, which I'd never done before on a social media site. And as I'd share ideas and we'd talk about the state of the world and things, uh, a couple people started mentioning orthodoxy to me because I was interested in Christianity and didn't know how to make sense of the denominational differences. I remember the first time a friend mentioned it to me, it was on the phone, someone I'd been on Twitter and, um, and then it came up again, um, through another friend and she told me about the incense and (laughs) the, um, the ritual of it all and how she just liked it best. And, um, and then someone, um, I, who is now my friend's husband, asked me to paint a saint, Saint Cyprian. I might say that wrong. I'm not sure. Um, but he was an Orthodox saint. And I remember thinking, like, what is this? Like, I, I didn't right. know. Like, it kept coming kept up, and hit, I just, yeah, yeah didn't kept know what it was. You. So, yeah. And then I, months later, I'm a convert. So, <laughs> Well, where, where did you, like, go to church? Like, what was the first church you went to that was Orthodox? Yeah. So after Peter, Jordan Peterson, um, I was... Well, the first church that was Orthodox. Well, let me just start with Peterson. I started realizing I needed to go back to church. So I would go alone. I would go when there wasn't service and just stand in there and, like, look at the stained glass and stuff. And maybe someone would be there to talk to me. I did, like, a soft entry. Like, I wasn't ready to, like, go to a service or a mass or a divine liturgy. Um, so for about a year, I was doing that. And I went to Roman Catholic Church, which I was raised and didn't feel right. Felt a little impersonal, duty-bound, not really community. I really needed community. Went to a Protestant church. I have a lot to say about that, but I won't get into it. Um, still didn't feel right. And then um, the, the, the friend who had commissioned me the painting, um, uh, we were just on a vacation all together, staying in an Airbnb. He took us to a small Orthodox church in the middle of Western Pennsylvania. And they were not very friendly. They were very, like, insular and... Um, they just didn't really like newcomers or have a lot of them, I think. And I remember thinking, like, I'm never going to become Orthodox. This is terrible because the I thought the service was really long. I was like, this is weird. They keep crossing themselves. Like, we're, you know, I was used to standing and sitting, but I wasn't used to, like, a lot of it. And um, I thought it was weird. But, but, but I thought it was beautiful on the inside. I thought the gates were immaculate, and I'd never seen art like that in church. 
Mm. And I'm an artist, so that was ah. important so for me. So he was speaking to you through the art of yeah. the church. Taken by God's beauty. Yeah. So, um, and then after that, actually, that was the only Orthodox church I went to before this same friend took us to the church I attend now, which is called Christ the Savior. And um, It's a good church. I go there. Yeah, that's where Josh and I met. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, and the priest is amazing, and everyone was extremely welcoming, interested in us, wondering why we were there. Like, an engagement that I hadn't experienced at other churches was present there. It felt alive, like there was blood pumping through everyone's veins. Um, I, yeah, so. And how long have you been a convert to the Orthodox faith? I converted in March, on March 14th. Very bad. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> Should we tell the audience what they are? Yeah, you tell, because I don't know. Fairy bugs are woolly aphids, and they're these cute little bugs that look like fairies that fly around uh, Pennsylvania. I don't know where else they are. I guess North America. S- swear to God, I've never seen one in my entire life until Amy had pointed them out to me about three months ago. <laughs> and now I see them everywhere. It's insane. <laughs> it's really cool. So the three big things that um, impacted you into your faith were, or that changed your thinking was the therapists going to therapy, Jordan Peterson, and Orthodox Christianity. Yes, those were the, probably the three largest. And, like, I mean, I could talk about psychedelics, but that's that, that was impactful, too, because I was an atheist until I kind of accidentally did mushrooms. It was just, like, you know, my friends did them, and I was like, it's a, it's a fungus. Oh, I've so eaten mushrooms. Oh, you accidentally did it? Kind of. I mean, like, I didn't really understand them. I was naive to what they really are. And um, I had this very mystical experience um, where I heard, like, a voice telling me I was supposed to be here over and over again. Like, you're supposed to be here. You're supposed to be here. Because I was really struggling with, like, what's the point of it all? And why am I even here? And Did you struggle with um, suicidal ideation? Yeah. Yeah, suicidal ideation. Um, I was pretty non-functioning at one point. I was... um, couldn't get out of bed, wouldn't talk to anybody, like, very inside myself, like, all my energy, like, turned in towards myself, and not making anything, not painting, and, um... And look at you now. Yeah, now I never shut up, so... (laughs) 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 Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, So, for me, when you were talking about Jordan Peterson, um, he had similar, um, similar effects for, for myself. Uh, as you know, and for anyone listening, my father took his life when I was 18. So growing up without a father was very challenging. When you are going through those tough times where the decisions that you need to make, you know, you go talk to your dad. You go ask him questions. And then losing my mother, the same thing happened too. So I didn't have the parents and the guidance. And I, had, I was watching Joe Rogan... Um, that had been, Joe Rogan had been introduced to me by my buddy Josh, who goes by Phil to some of you in, in, in different circles. But uh, he showed me Joe Rogan, and I was like, wow. I started watching on this, and Jordan Peterson pops up. And I'm like, what's this guy? Because he was all over the place. So I started listening, and he started, he started, Jordan was talking about a lot of the things that you know are true, but you ignore Yes. Because you're like, uh, either if you're too lazy or it's too painful or you don't want to have responsibility, it's easier to play in the immediate gratification world. And um, I think where I was at in my life, I was starving for some sort of structure. 
in some sort of uh, plan because I had just kind of just navigated and floated to what felt good. Whatever felt good, that's where I floated to. And like, you can get by, but then it's, it's, you're building your house on, on shaky foundation. And so, with Jordan Peterson, he really gave me the permission to have responsibility in my life. And it, it made me want to, too. Because he talks about, you know, the better you become, the better the world around you becomes, the better the, your immediate family becomes, people around you, be an example. I adopted that full-heartedly, and um, it, brought me, <laughs> it brought me to Christ as well. It did. It's incredible. Because I was like, how do I fix myself? And in doing that and starting to heal from some of the pain and start, started to integrate the shadow, the, the hard things where I actually looked at them because I didn't look at them. Everything's fine. Hand me another beer. Everything's <laughs> fine. Do this drug. Everything's fine. Go crazy. And when I started putting, putting those things down, taking more responsibility for myself, I could listen and hear God better because, again, I will say this all the time, He does speak to you in people, places, and things. And the more you're listening, the more you're seeing, the more you're, you're going to understand him and the more you're going to walk on the path of, of faith and, and healing and then growth. Mm -hmm. And then you can like throw it back to others and be the example. Yeah. It's pretty freaking cool. I like that um, um, something you, you said about uh, Peterson reminded me. He, uh, he kind of articulates things that you sort of already knew on some level. You were talking about avoidance. Yeah. He articulates things that are like deep in your subconscious and like brings them to light. And you're like, and so I would have these moments listening to him where I was like, I knew that. Like, I just never admitted it to myself and mm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Admitted it to yourself. Yeah. And, and you know, truth. Truth, yeah. truth, truth. He's big on truth. Speak, speak truth. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's, uh, we can get caught up in, in the my truth thing. Yeah. Well, this is my truth. Okay. Well, if your truth is filtered with bias to the things, then it's really not truth. It's, what, <laughs> it's really what you think. And yeah. then that's what, the, in, the, in the world, that's how it gets muddy. So narrow in on truth, truth, not just your truth. You know, your truth can be truth if it's filtered with the real truth. Mm-hmm. But um, I think, like, laying down some of that my truth stuff and picking up the actual truth really helped me in a lot of ways to combat depression that I had. Because if you're, if you're yeah, if you're not living in, in truth and you're pretending to be someone you're not, well, how long can you go before that eats you alive? And, and you know, you have these coping mechanisms that <laughs> are only taking you further away from who you want to be yeah T turns out we're not really the best guides of our lives i mean like god is a better guide for us um because we have limited knowledge and we're just humans and um i think my truth maybe like puts yourself on a pedestal that you don't really belong on it's better to be to be humble to the path that's laid out before you um and who's the, who's the greatest example of, of how you want to be? That's a question for you. That's a good question. Well, you have God in the nature, but who's the example? Jesus. Amen. <laughs> exactly. Amen. And it's true. And like, that's, it's, it's crazy because, all right, 
psychedelics had a huge impact on my life as well. Mm. And I've talked about this on this podcast before. The first time I did uh, LSD was with my friend Phil, June 4th, 2017. And up until this time, I had carried so much pain from the death of my father, the death of my mother, the death of my grandparents, the suicide of my best friend. And I had shouldered it and put it on my shoulders and just carried it around and like a badge of honor. And it was getting pretty freaking heavy. It was getting pretty freaking heavy because whenever anyone would ask, are you okay? I'd be like, sure, I'm okay. Yet I was, what, 120 pounds heavier, barely, barely living in my car, making every excuse, drinking everything I could. And... I wasn't looking at the problems or the pain that, that I had. I wasn't looking at it. And the more I avoided looking at it, the worse my life got. <laughs> the slower I got, in, in a sense, because it was getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And LSD made me look at it. Made me look at all the things. And I bawled my eyes out, but it was one of the most healing things that had ever happened to me. And that day, I faced some of the demons that were inside. And I spoke things and talked about the problems with my friend. And it was crazy because I walked outside at 5 a.m. And when I was out on my back porch where we are right now, I could feel all the people that I had lost behind me. Like they weren't really gone, that they were still with me and that, that it was okay. And I remember looking up through the trees and the sun was just kind of coming out. You could kind of see it. It was still dark enough and overwhelming gratitude. The first thing I said was thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And my lens have, has been shifted ever since. Instead of looking at all, all the bad things that had happened, I'm looking for the opportunities and, the, and the, the thankfulness at the simple things in life. Because, yo, if you're looking at the negatives or what had happened to you, you can stay stunted and in that for days, months, weeks, years, decades. And then, oh, wow, if you finally wake up, you're like, shit! <laughs> or, yes, I mean, it's good. To, no matter where you kind of realize it's good, but you don't want to stay there because you can, you can waste a lot of time. And it brought me there, and it, I felt like I, um, I healed multiple years in eight hours. Yeah. It was incredible. And um, one of the things that going to ask you what, what do you do to keep you in it how do you stay in it one of the things for me is gratitude and that's that was like that was shown to me mm. in a miss uh through all the chaos and all the pain and all the loss that there still is goodness and there's things to learn and gratitude is a huge thing for for me in keeping myself well and keeping me on path for christ and for the people around me yeah what about you amen amen, <laughs> amen. um yeah, I learned that lesson too on psychedelics, actually. So I guess we both needed a, a gratitude lesson. Um, yeah. For me, it was um, MDMA. It was just like deep gratitude that brought me to tears that made me so grateful for my family and, like you said, for the little things. So that's how I stay in it, is gratitude as well, saying thank you. And you've taught me that a lot because you just 
Josh will just randomly, seemingly randomly say, thank you, thank you, God. And it's, it's something I like about you a lot. It's a very beautiful practice. Oh, thanks, Amy. Very inspiring. Yeah, so, um, yeah, for me, um, prayer helps a lot. Um, talking to God throughout the day. And Amy's spitting water Josh at me. Josh spit water at me. That's why I laughed. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. You're welcome. That's you, one you way to hot. stay in it is getting water thrown on you. So that's Squirt good. guns. Yes, Josh really likes squirt guns. Well, okay. Sprays them I can't cats. I can't have this. It was um uh friends from Summer Dance. This is a festival. Is it yes, is a festival. They had um, squirt guns and they would squirt they would use the water to squirt each other to bring them back into the present moment great it, yeah it, it works it, it does work it <laughs> yeah does. a state change helps a lot I remember someone telling me like you don't feel well and you need to get present like change Dan the and smell. Jess Dan and Jess sorry alright yeah. shout out um, <laughs> like change your smell like taste like change your body orientation change your posture um, little things like this, um, bring you back to the present moment or like really feel what's in your hand. If you're like holding a cup or something. Wow. That brings us to this five, five, a practice that in peer support we would use to keep us in the present moment. So you do five things that you see. Mm. Amy, five things that you see. Five things that I see. Tree. Tiki torch. <laughs> Josh. Are you a thing? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm a person. Phone. Pen. Is that five? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Four things I can touch. Um, my face, the floor, the plate, and this leaf. Ooh. All right. Three things that you can hear. Children. Children screaming. Screaming. <laughs> Playing. Playing. And, and screaming. Uh, birds. And Josh laughing. <laughs> Two things I can smell. Hmm. This mahogany teak wood candle Ooh. and the lime in my drink. Yum. One thing you can taste. Salami. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really taste it anymore, but I was tasting it Amy's before this podcast. Amy's a big fan of salami. Um, I'm Italian. She eats six pounds a day. <laughs> How she keeps her strength and her figure, and she's starting to look like a salon. <laughs> it's gonna catch up to me one day. Just but not today. Kidding. Not today. You're, you're doing great. So you just started Thanks, really working out too, Amy. I did. Yeah, inspired by you. Um, ah. So you know, when I lived in California, it was very easy to be active there because it's a very active place. Um, this was San Francisco. I swear you just like walk out of your house and lose five pounds. Like it's so easy because it's hilly and you're always biking and outside and the weather's nice and everyone's active. But then I moved back to Pennsylvania and it got a little harder um, because there's winter here and it's not as active of a culture. It needs some work, um, mm. I think. It's more like the culture here is like the exercise culture is something you like kind of plug into. It's not really like the, the broader right. culture. It's not like the there, lifestyle. Yeah. There, there's an obesity problem here. Um, and as with much of the Midwest. So yeah, I think Pennsylvania on. is, Oh man, I want to say it is in the top 20 for states of, uh, obesity. I believe it. And it's rising. 
um, it's rising significantly each year. I, I read that sixty percent of Americans will be overweight or, or, or obese by twenty thirty, which nine, is nine years, not good. eight and a half years. From yeah, now. yeah. Think about that. Not good. Why do you think that is? Um, I think people don't know how to eat. Mostly. I think it's mostly that. And then I think it's that people don't exercise or don't feel motivated to exercise or don't know how to exercise. So it's more of an ignorance uh, instead of the willpower to make a change? I can't say that for sure. Yeah. I can't say that for sure. Well, it's also like... Because where there's a will, there's a way. So I think if you want to know how to eat better and exercise, you'll find that out. So maybe it's motivation problem. But, you know... In some stages or in some facets of the culture, it's, hey, it's okay to be that. It's yes, all, it's, all it's normalized. It's, it's, it's normalized to, you know, mm-hmm. everything is supersized. Everything portion-wise is big. So yeah. you're already facing, like, the, all of the stuff that's put at you through advertising uh, and all of the portion sizes that you're, hey, this is just the way we do things. So, like, that, seriously. Yeah. Like, and if you're indoctrinated into it as a child. Yes. Like, and, and, and that's very American because I, I haven't yeah. been out of the country much, but I did go to Europe with my company and um, the, the company I work for. And uh, in Amsterdam, I noticed that the portions were way smaller. If you order a small coffee, it is genuinely small. It's like just a couple inches high. And they don't – Americans are just into these like massive portions. It's a very like American thing and I don't know how that happened or why. Mm. But um, you're right. I think we have a bad food culture. We have a very industrialized food culture. People don't eat locally. Food is shipped all over the country. Um, it travels very far before it gets to you. So then it's full of preservatives um, to keep it uh, preserved on the shelf. And I, I think we just have a very poisoned food supply. And uh, my sister, uh, Julie, uh, said something yesterday about how she's going to teach her kids just to stick to meat and produce and pretty much avoid everything that's on the shelves uh, in a grocery store. Almost all of it is high carb, high sugar, full of yeah. vegetable oil, soy, and it's it's just... Yeah. Not good for you. And people don't know. People have no idea. I told someone recently that a woman is only supposed to have 24 grams of sugar a day. And one can of soda has 56. And so that's double, more than double a woman's intake, like, you know, required intake for sugar a day. And, and she told me, she was like, I used to drink four of those a day. She's like, I had it like running through my veins, soda. And, right. Yeah. You know. One of the things in like the fitness industry that you don't really want to do is drink your calories. Yeah, and and think about because you're just like oh I'm just drinking this. It's not the act of actually eating, you know. And right. you're just, oh you can drink 200 calories and 50 grams of sugar. Yes. Spike your blood sugar, your insulin. Like you're setting yourself up for failure. It's and amazed. okay, so have you ever heard of like finish what's on your plate or you you can't leave the table kind of thing? Oh yeah, I have a horror story with that as a kid in a neighbor's house they did that to me and i threw up in the bushes yeah oh wait okay my, uh, yeah i'm sorry go. You know. go ahead so go off Let's i'll go it. off about that um <laughs> yeah i have strong feelings about this yeah not good my parents were not like that they always said eat what you can and um but yeah that's a thing i guess in people's households well if okay so if that's been in the in your culture of finish your plate you don't know like we we there's they're people starving, they're starving people somewhere else in the world. Yeah. How many times have you heard that? Well, if you're conditioned to continuously do that, even if the, the food is, are, is high in calories, high in carbohydrates, high in sugar, and even if you're, hey, you know what? I don't have, need to eat anymore, but it's on my plate. Might as well finish it. Well, how many extra calories are you eating and you don't need to be eating? 
So it's like rewiring and reframing this whole, whole multiple generational thing of food. Yeah. And it's, it's very hard. Mm -hmm. So it's important. It's important to stay true on it, but it's also important to talk about it and share and share and, and educate and especially educate yourself. There's a lot of stuff out there that, you know, can help you. I, for example, that's what, that was my life. Finish on your plate. And then if you finish your plate, you can have dessert. So, so it's like, oh, okay. So I have to finish all the food, even, even if I'm not hungry for the rest of it, eating all those calories so I can get the cake that I really want. Think about that. So, so as I grew and as uh, I lost my parents young, lost both of them by 21 and didn't have that structure there. That was my whole thing. And I ballooned up to 365 pounds and I had to really reshape what I thought about food, what it, what it thought, what I thought about eating, coping when I, with food, it was a huge restructuring of it all. Yeah. Happy about it. Unlearning and relearning. Yeah. Process. Learning. Josh has lost a lot of weight and you look great. Well, thank you. (laughs) 20 more to go. Seriously, your before and after pictures are incredible. I show them to people all the time. Thanks, it's Amy. Incredible. Very inspiring, yes. Very good. Good stuff. I appreciate it. Yeah, we don't have a good food culture. I'm wondering if what you were talking about with the, you know, finished what's on your plate is like a relic of the past, maybe when people didn't have a lot of food, they didn't know when their next yeah. meal would come. Yeah, yeah, sure. And now we have, this is another thing I think our... You see how it's yes, parents, the kids, the kids, the parents. Yeah, he's doing like a chain with his hand. Yeah, and it's, you know, I yeah, I think, I just think we don't have a very good food culture, and it's something we have to like unlearn something we have to talk about on a podcast on a wednesday evening yes haha yes yes well it's hard to avoid it's because i think i was going to say that now we have an excess of 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 food we it used to be scarce so our bodies were designed i think to not say no very often to food and now we've altered the environment to be the opposite of that where we have plenty of food too much and now we have to learn to overrule that lizard brain, like want, like saying yes to food because we don't know when it's going to come next. And you have to learn to say no to food mm-hmm. a lot. Say mm-hmm. no a lot. There's, there's mm-hmm. more things you have to say no to than yes to in our, uh, in our food culture, I guess, and at the store and at restaurants. And yeah, walk like to a grocery store. What's, what is right in your face when you're checking out? Sugar! When you're in the, when you're in the waiting line, like every candy bar... Yeah. Like, there's beef jerky there, too, I've seen now, which is better. But That's like, better, yeah. It's getting better. Every, yeah. Yeah. Let's not be all doom and gloom on it, because like, there are people stepping up and showing up and making healthier options, and that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's pretty severe. Like, it, there are so many different ways you can alter sugar to make all these different products. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's cheap. And I think it's subsidized by the government. I'm pretty sure, like, our government subsidizes sugar and corn. So you'll see, wow. like, all these products are made of, you know, sugar and, and corn syrup or, like, enriched wheat flour. And all of that causes inflammation and, and spikes your glucose and, and makes your body produce insulin. You've seen a lot of people suffering from that. Yeah, because I don't think people have the defenses against it. Um, the mental defenses to, against it because it's like an onslaught. It's just in your face. It's advertised on television. If you watch TV, it's yeah. like here's a Reese cup and like here's yeah. like and here's if your a family soda. does it, like especially like I, I work with um, you know, I'm a personal trainer, so I, I train people in the gym, but it's it's more than that if you want to lose weight. 
you can go to the gym and, and you can spend your hour in there, but if you're going home eating Reese's Puff cereal <laughs> like once or twice a day and consuming a bunch of crap, well, you might be getting stronger, but you might, your, your body composition is really not going to be where you want it to be. You're not going to lose the weight how you want it and where you want it. Right. It's, it's a whole disciplined effort. Yeah. I think most of it is food, right? Would you say? You would know better than me. I'd say a lot of it's food. A lot of it's food. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's all of it, but food because, look. You can't more, work out and eat whatever you want. Just work out and eat whatever you want, right? There are some people, I guess, who can. But <laughs> for us mortals no <laughs> especially me like i i sniff a cheeseburger i'm gaining five pounds <laughs> like 100 like it's been it's been such a uh, a journey to really understanding myself and what food does to me and what i need to say no to and what i need to say yes to more and that's i encourage people who are listening to that to do that it's not one size fits all. It's really finding out what works for you and what you can sustain and man- maintain. A lot of people get real hype on these um, diet fads of pills or I'm going to starve myself. And it's like, okay, you might get immediate gratification in the results in the immediate, but it's not going to last you. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're going to go back to the bad habits. So take some stock on it. Um, really invest in. And there's a lot of good resources out there. YouTube is wonderful and it's free right now. So there's a lot of people talking on there. And that's, and that's how I really did it too. Like I, I just started educating myself because I didn't know. I didn't know it wasn't okay to eat a box of Cheez-Its every day. Yeah. You know? Like I didn't know. I just, Cheez-Its are, Cheez-Its are bomb, especially the extra toasty kind. My grandma got me turned on to those. They're oh. really good. Yeah, and um, breakfast cereals also I think a big oh, one because yeah. it's it's really nutritionally void. Mm. I think you should most people should be eating like protein and eggs in the morning. This was yes. another Jordan Peterson thing. I remember yeah. he said, he said it'll help anxiety." Yeah, eat a high protein breakfast, and he said his clients their anxiety goes down by like sixty percent when they start yeah. doing that. So. Yeah, you hear that? Sixty percent. Good stuff. We're talking about another uh, percentage. Just throwing it in there. If you work out first thing in the morning, first thing in the morning from the book Spark. Your brain functionality will increase 13%. Really? Think about that. I needed to hear that one. Think about <laughs> that. So, like, if you're having stress or if, you're, if your stress is coming from, you know, being maybe overwhelmed, but if you're working at a 13% processing speed, you can handle some of that stress a little bit better. Wow. You can manage it. You can, you can work it. And you're better off for it. And... You're becoming physically fit. And the better you are physically, the more capacity for load you have, both mentally, physically, emotionally. The more stable you are, the more strong you are, the more you can stay present, the more you can work in your abilities and grow in your faith and in your strengths. And, and yeah, and, and, and I think be like helpful and useful to those around you. Right? Yes. Some, you know, if someone needs to move or something, you're, you're fit to help. And yeah good in a crisis and it helps your mood so yeah. like food too like food uh how your diet has been uh linked towards anxiety and depression stress levels like the more sugar you eat yeah, yeah. the more anxious you are so true and it's like okay so have you ever watched the movie austin powers no i okay <laughs> so there is there is a man it's a second one and his name is fat bastard Okay. I know the character. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he says, I'm fat because I eat 
and I eat because I'm fat. Okay? And it's like a cycle. Yeah. It, but, it, but it is true. Mm-hmm. And if you're consistently in this cycle of feeding yourself to get that um, sugar high and yet you're continuously adding pounds and then you feel crappy about how you look, then you eat again because it's a vicious cycle. But you can get out of it by just saying no to some things yeah. and, and replacing and putting in good foods, good, food, good healthy foods that you, can, you, can, um, that you tolerate and that you kind of like. And just keep adding those in, adding those in, and slowly pulling the, the sugary stuff out. And it can be, it doesn't have to be um, like a night and day thing. It can be a slow process, and, and little wins are certainly acceptable and looked for. Okay. It's a big part of it. Right. Amen. So, amen. So, <laughs> so, Amy, I want to talk about this quote that you have given. Um, we do a qu- quotes here that have impacted us and this is by Stella Adler life beats beats down and crushes the soul and art reminds you that you have one so tell us what that means to you being an artist being uh, someone who creates things yeah so I picked that because when I was in high school it helped me. I don't resonate. I, I still like it and everything. There are quotes I relate to a little more now, but um, I, I just think it's true. It's um, life can be extremely difficult and hard on your soul, right? There's a lot of temptations and um, things that are uh, lies and like things that are out to, uh, I guess, like deceive you or, or, or lessen the strength of your soul. And that's what I think actually matters the most in life. I think this is like a training ground for your soul. Ooh, Amy Mastrini. <laughs> yeah, so, um, and then Stella's quote, she says, you know, all this is going on, all these um, swipes and uh, attacks on your soul are happening. Um, and then art reminds you that you have one. And um, but I think, like, more than reminding you that you have one, it, it does that, though. It, it, I mean, it, art reminds you that you have a soul and, and it helps you take care of your soul. Um, because... My theory is that art is a meeting of the material and the spiritual. And this is why I like orthodoxy, because they believe this, and why I am orthodox. Um, when you gaze upon a work of art, it's sort of like, um, it's physical and metaphysical. You're, so, something alchemical was created. Like, someone took raw material and, and transmuted it into something. It's, a, it's like a holy alchemy, basically. Um, not basic, but... <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's hard, it's difficult for me to articulate, like, what I, like, why I'm so passionate about art and why I find it so important, but that's as close as I can get is that it's this meeting of material and spiritual, and when you look at art, you're, you're coming up against a metaphysical realm. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. So, when did you start really identifying (laughs) as an artist? That word is trendy these days. Yeah, Yeah, I think there are very little things we actually identify as, but an artist is one of them. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, So when I was six, I tell the story a lot. Six? Yeah, I... uh, So like last year? No. (laughs) No, it was a while ago. Um, I remember like... My sixth or my my teacher, I was in first grade, asking me what I wanted to be, and I was like an artist, like without missing a beat, and um, and like always, I just always wanted to be an artist, um, 
because I was like, this is so fun. This is amazing. I love watching my this hands. This is awesome. Draw. This is awesome. So cool. So, and I was like, why does everybody want to do this? And then I had to learn that people have different interests, Amy. Not everyone can be an artist because a lot of things wouldn't get done in the world. So, yeah. but you know, we need plumbers. Yeah, and we need those. We need that. <laughs> construction workers yep. and things yep. like that. So, which is an art in and of itself, but sure. you know, visual arts I'm talking about. So yeah, I, um, it's always kind of part of my essence, I guess. Um, doesn't always feel like something I chose. I don't know ah. if we choose our identities. I like that. Yeah. Okay, so um, when you're about to do a painting, what are some things that you do to get you into the right mind or something that keeps you in it with that? Hmm. Are there some uh, things you do? Um, I'm pretty process-oriented. So I do like a sketch and then I fix it to the... the panel with the fixative and you know I have like a whole process I lay out my palette in a certain way um lately I've started to pray with painting Interesting. not necessarily before because I'm kind of just moving too fast sometimes to do it before but during I will I will say a prayer and um ask like for my hands to be blessed and guided um and if I'm painting something religious I'll ask uh, I'll thank God for the honor of being trusted to paint you know his son or Mary or hopefully saints. I'm going to try to do more saints soon. Um, oh yeah. yeah. But paint, painting in and of itself is a way to stay in it because, and, and, and stay present because you, you have to be with every brush stroke. There's not, your mind can wander, but it really does keep you in the here and now. Like you have to focus on every, every brush stroke. And it, that is actually why I think I painted as a child when I was troubled if I had a tantrum, my mom would be like, why don't you go paint something? Because I was calm when I was painting and not worried or stressed or, or anything. Um, so art is very therapeutic. And I, like, learn lessons from it. Like, I learn life lessons at the easel that I then carry over into the rest of my life. So it's, like, it's full of, of metaphors. It's... Give us one. <laughs> well, I don't know if I can spit one out right now. But, um... Okay. Well, it teaches me discipline, you know, uh, and, yeah. and, and it's like, if you sit through this, maybe it's hard to paint, like, if I'm painting, like, hair, which can kind of be a drag, right, because it's, like, the same color, tiny strokes over and over. This is hard. It's not really fun right now. But if you wait and you stay in it and work through it and keep going, you will be rewarded at the end. And the reward can be, like, the painting looks great. Like, but I had to get through it. I had to get through the hard part of painting, like, the hair that was boring, you know, so... A lot of lessons there. There's going to be a lot of boring times in life. Yes. Where you're, you know, you wish it was glamorous or exciting. But it's in those moments where you are disciplined in staying in it. And that, in the times when it's not the everyone look at me or it's the exciting. That's the, those are, tr that's where true growth is. Yes. And those are the real tests. And, um. Yeah, it's hard to... It, that's what real commitment is. I think yeah. that, that that's what's really um, worthwhile is when you... It, it creates meaning, right? It's a meaning maker. If you committed and stayed with something, that, even while it was hard and difficult and unglamorous and not exciting, then whatever you did is that much more meaningful because mm -hmm. you got through... I think there's a relationship between hardship and meaning, I think. Like, easy things aren't just not as, not as oh, meaningful. Oh, yeah. Oh Sometimes. yeah, Sometimes. yeah, and that can we can go into a whole realm of easy things. Yeah, people, places, and things that are easy. 
quick in, hits. In quick, yeah, easily, easy isn't necessarily the right way. Right. You know? And this is why our feelings are not the best guidance because mm. just because it feels good and it feels easy doesn't mean that's necessarily the right thing to do. Right. So that's why you were saying earlier that you were guided by whatever feels good, whatever feels mm-hmm. good, and your life was a mess. So Right, because something that would feel good this week might not feel good next week. So it's a roller coaster of emotion that, you know, I needed to get off. It's, it's not an <sighs> anchor. It's, it doesn't hold you to... It's not an anchor that you can use throughout time and space. It's like too many whims. It's, you have yeah. whiplash. It's like yeah, it's not an anchor to the truth. Yes, exactly. Well said. Yeah, not, not an, an anchor to truth. truth. Emotions can lie. Yeah. I mean, how many times? I mean, I can. I raise my hand here. Have you thought the truth was your emotion, only to find out that it wasn't? And you're like, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. When I was in therapy, I remember. I told my therapist, I think, I feel like everyone hates me at work. Yeah. And she was like, do you have evidence of that? And I was yeah. like, no. And I was like, she was like, well, your feelings aren't always facts about the world to right. be Ben Shapiro about it. But, um, facts I was like, oh. Facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thanks, man. Yeah. But he's, I mean, he's right. He's right. I mean, but, but I don't want to totally discount right. feelings. Yes, of course not. Because sometimes they are. Sometimes they're valid. I think maybe less than the amount we want to make them valid. But um, in therapy, yeah. also a part of DBT, the therapy I did, was um, to learn to validate valid feelings and invalidate invalid ones. Right. And you do that by, like, looking at evidence in the world around you or, like, really digging into the emotion. Like, well, why would I feel this way? Mm-hmm. What's really going on? They're good alarm systems. Yeah. Like, they, they are. They, they allow you to look at the thing. Okay, well, if I'm feeling this type of emotion... Seek deeper. Mm-hmm. Seek deeper to find the truth of it. Yes. It's like that's that, and it's a good alarm system. Yeah. Because you know something's shaking your house, and you're not really aware. Well, okay, now you have an alarm system to look at it, and then you realize, oh, okay, maybe that was just that was just the raccoon, and <laughs> it's not really a threat, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's a serious, it's a robber who I need to take care of, or I need to seek help with. Right. So it's, it's, they're important, but yeah. you need they, to regulate your emotion. You have to have discipline in them. We come back to this word discipline a lot. Yeah. Everything is discipline. So, so going back to the 12 disciples, uh, going back to religion, each, each disciple represented a discipline. And it, of dis, discipline was always the first thing. So it's like, Bartholomew was imagination, but it was disciplined imagination. So if you have the emotion, but it is disciplined, how high can you fly? (laughs) Truly. Balance is is a key, but also it's it's discipline. And, And filtering it through the lens of Christ. And he was the greatest example. And that's that's the thing too. Before I came back to the church I had a bad taste in my mouth for Christianity because I think a lot of people get tied up with what you're supposed to do and judging other people and they are not giving grace to people and I have found that in my own life like where all I needed was someone to bring me in and like listen to me and not judge me it's like Churches are supposed to be hospitals. 
Yes, churches are not museums for saints. They are hospitals for sinners. Ah, Amy Mistrini. I don't know who said that, but it wasn't me. Okay, <laughs> well, you just said it right there. Yeah. But it's true. It, it did that for me. I started going back to church four years ago. I don't even know if I was like a true, like I believed, but I wasn't in it. Like How many years ago? Four. Four. 2017. Wow. And um, late 2017. And I needed community. I needed people who cared and solidly cared, not just like cared because they wanted to get drunk or cared because where was the next party at? It was like people who cared about, you know, hey, come to church, come to this, come to Bible study. Like, let's learn together. Let's give, I'll give you a ride home, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think me seeing in my church at Christ the Savior as well, I saw so much love I saw so much giving that it was like, okay, this is where I need to be. And as I started to stay in that, I started to see more from Christ, from God, and see the example through the people that had helped me. And it was incredible. It was incredible. Because I came in, jacked up dude, still drinking a lot, had tattoos all over, probably came in a couple times hungover, and these people still accepted me and didn't judge me. And that softened my heart and opened my mind. And like in that, I was, allowed, I was allowing Christ in, into my heart and into my soul. But I don't know if that would have been the case if I would have been judged and, and said, you shouldn't have been doing this and you shouldn't have been doing this and you did it. Because immediately I'd have been like, peace out. Yeah. So it's, it's important. I, if I'm being honest, like I don't think my experience of Christians has ever been that they're well, maybe some are extremely judgmental, but I, I think that kind of is maybe a media lie that Christians are like these like no fun, like extremely hard on everyone kind of kind of figures. Um, I th- a lot of Christians, I think, have a lot of compassion for people who are struggling and suffering. And I think they hold true to the whole, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin kind of thing. Yeah. And that's what people really need. Like, I think they need people to love them and hold them and take care of them even while they might be acting in ways that are bad for them. Yes. Um, so. And I do, yeah, I do definitely do think the media chalk, like, builds that up. But Yeah, like, every portrayal of Christians you really see in modern uh, shows and movies is that they're, like, this, you know, crazy person or, like, this neurotic, like, judgmental person. I don't think that's true. I don't think it is either. So. But usually, like, I think, um, like, what I'm referencing, too, is, like, the older generation of Christians who have been like, they're, they're, I, I think their judgment comes out of fear. Like they're fearful of, of, of allowing the other or someone who is different into the fold because they're like afraid of tainting their flock or something. Oh. And, and I, that I've experienced that. Okay. So you, so. you grew up Orthodox, which is very traditional and kind of I guess like that Mm -hmm. whereas I grew up Roman Catholic which is way more just like do whatever you want like so yeah it's definitely definitely different types yeah (laughs) but it's good yeah you need some of both like sometimes you need you know the the compassionate like you know we're not judging you and then sometimes you do need someone to help you discern between right and wrong and be like you know this actually isn't Mm -hmm. good for you it's that I think it's context dependent. It's like, it mm-hmm. depends on like what the issue is and what's going on and what time and place you're at where you need either one or the other. Yeah. And uh, I'm very thankful for Father Bob. He does both 
beautifully. Our priest, yes. He's very, very good at... He's a good man. He's yeah. a blessing. Yes, he's very good. And I liked him because he he understands, like, God's mystery and how, how much is mysterious, which is very humbling. I think modern people try to control things a lot or rationalize things and they need an explanation and like they need intellectual like ideas about things and he's just like oh we're just a mystery like we don't know yeah and like i really appreciated that because i came from like college and like these intellectual circles in dc and i was tired of everyone trying to rationalize everything because you can rationalize yourself into hell really Ooh. you can make things yes make you sense can. that aren't yeah. true you yes. know because it sounds good you think maybe it sounds good from a rational point of view but it's not the truth I think a lot of people end up there. Um, so, yeah, it's... Yeah, I like I like Orthodox Christianity because it's so focused on mystery. And um, it, it, they don't, like, really need an explanation for everything. But at the same time, they have a lot of explanations for things. Mm-hmm. So, it's a, again, it's that nice synthesis of, of both that, that, that we need. So Beautiful, Amy. Thanks. So, so, where can people find you? Hmm. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> beware. Sometimes I spit fire on there and I get in trouble. But that's and okay. what is it again? Amy it is um, twitter.com slash Amy the Artist. Okay. And I'm, I'm pretty much took, you know, my last name off of a lot of things. Um, but uh, So, Amy the Artist on Twitter. And then my Instagram is Amy two underscores the underscore artist. Um, but... Yeah, or you can go to amytheartist.com. That's my website, and I have a shop on there where I sell oil paintings. And, and I have a print things. of hers. It's Jesus. Yes. It is, it is amazing. Yes, thank you for the support. I see it every day. It <laughs> I is like beautiful. that painting. How long did it take you to paint that? Um, it's always hard to say because I paint around my like day job with maps. Um, but it, within a month, it was complete. I did that one really quickly to the point. I got so excited about that one, I actually hurt my arm. <laughs> so I have like a repetitive stress injury and I was like this is going to be awesome and that's why Amy's uh, lifting now so she can do art yes and in... Josh sends me great workouts <laughs> and, and I did funny shoulder uh, free weight exercises me, they're not funny they're, well they're I feel amazing. funny when I do them. <laughs> but they're good they're, they're helping a lot in three days Amy has packed on 17 pounds of muscle <laughs> it's, it's amazing you should see her she's jacked it's insane no, 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 not quite but you, you know yeah You're I'm getting great. there I feel a lot stronger when I um, go for my walks or like do hula hoop. I haven't. I didn't get into that, but yeah. oh, we don't have to. Maybe that's for another podcast. Yes, <laughs> yes. This was fun. Let's do it again. Yeah, we definitely will. Well, Amy, is there any other uh, things that you'd like for the listeners to to have? Any tidbits or wisdom that you'd like to share? Um, it's been a pleasure being with you. Thank you. I I would encourage people to look at a lot of art, and look into Orthodox Christianity. Um, go to Ancient Faith Publishing or listen to Father Trenum uh, on YouTube. Uh, those are good places to start. Amen, Amy. <laughs> thank you so much for being on. And for those of you listening and been with us this far, thank you for being here. And I hope you were inspired and take initiative to start taking care of yourself or further your education into doing so and remember that your story is important and that you are living it and live it well participate and raise your hand to life 
stay focused, stay in it. God bless you, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Oh.